my wife and I were in an argument on our way to church. Of course, that's when it often happens. Right, right. And, you know, she said something that I thought was not fair, and I just turned to her and said, listen, that's not right that you said that to me. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good. The bad. And the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love Thy Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Enneacast. What's up? Welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram, and today we round out the gut triad. So last we one. The last one of the nine types. So first, we'd like to thank the ones for being so patient, because you probably thought you were going to get to go first, but... Sorry. You have awards waiting in heaven, because the last shall be first. So, Amen. Yes. Uh, so, ones, uh, you know, these folks are commonly referred to as the reformer. So, Sam, some other nicknames for these folks? Yeah, the perfection the teacher, the activist, the crusader, the moralist, the organizer. So when I think of a healthy one, you know, I've got a friend she, that, who's a one and she uh, she leads an organization that works to take care of the lives of the unborn. Uh, they're next door to an abortion clinic. Um, and they even have, you know, a, a ministry arm that also walks with women um, for, you know, the first six, seven, eight years of their kid's life. Wow. So they are, they're walking with people from the point that the woman is considering having an abortion mm. all the way to the point, you know, of that kid making their way through a portion of elementary school. Yeah, they're not just pro birth, but they're actually pro-life and yeah, pro-health. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. yeah, a healthy one is able to move past just a posture of just merely sort of abstract ethics or, you know, political posturing, and they move to a place of like a really beautiful sort of integrated uh, love of the truth. Mm. So um, so let's talk a little bit about the resourceful traits of the one, of the reformer. These folks are honest. Uh, they, they will tell you the truth. Um, they tend to, to speak at length, uh, and they want to make sure that all of the truth is being articulated and that yeah, it's being considered. they're very thorough. They're thorough people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, very hardworking. Uh, they're hardworking because they believe that God made us to work. They want to work hard. Um, they want to be good stewards of their time. If they work for a company, they want to steward that company's resources, their finances well. But they also tend to be even hardworking for their families, hardworking for their neighbors. Um, these folks are intense, uh, which I appreciate. I'm I'm a four on the Enneagram. We're intense people. So ones are also like they're also very intense folks. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. Also, one of the things I love, these folks are dedicated to practical action. So a healthy one doesn't just, you know, want to sit around and debate, you know, the ethics of something or the philosophies or something. They want to know what's the bottom line and how can we move towards action that is going to bring more fairness and justice into the world. Uh, a healthy one is comfortable. A healthy one is very ethical. 
and uh, a healthy one will strive to overcome the adversity that is that is against them or against whatever issue of justice uh, that they are trying to approach. So that uh, that is a healthy one. Sam, tell me a little bit about the non-resourceful one. Yeah. So the, since they have such high ethical standards and you know moral uprightness, they can become overly critical. They can become rigid and strict on themselves. It's really hard for ones to experience and receive and give grace. So they're very rigid. They become more legalistic in their mind and um, they kind of feel like know-it-alls. They have such high standards and that can be intimidating for people around them, even if it's never addressed or vocalized by the one, because they hold themselves to such a high standard. It unfairly uh, creates a sense of shame in the in their close friends and loved ones because it's like, you know, you need to get your stuff together because we have you know this standard to reach and this expectation to maintain. So, but they, but the thing is this though is that is that they're when they're people might sometimes experience a one as maybe being harsh, you know, towards mm-hmm. them. But the truth is that ones are extremely hard on themselves. Um, so when it talks about like you know being judgmental, you know, or knowing it all. Their minds and their hearts are often just full of like oughts and shoulds. Like I ought to be this way. I should be this way. I should not have thought that. Yeah. I shouldn't think that or feel that way. And so they tend to be just really, really hypercritical of themselves, which leads into uh, that pours out and then on to the relationships with other people. Yeah, I really feel I feel for ones because as kids, they just um, they just tried to be good. That was when they were praised. That's when they received a sense of self was when. They were the good kid. And so to be messy or to be angry or to be sinful or to have weaknesses and erratic behavior, that didn't make sense into their in their environment. So and that was through the good moral, you know, we don't have to worry about her. She's such a good girl. He's such a good guy. Like they just kind of embodied this goodness and this righteousness. And so, man, that standard on a kid can really make it hard for them to understand weakness and understand um, imperfection and because they're so yeah. perfectionistic as a result of some yeah. of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Very, very good observations. And then because they kind of carry that that internal critic voice with them, they sound kind of preachy and interfering. And so since they kind of had to pre- pretend to be an adult their whole life, they talk to adults around them as if that they're children. You know, so they kind of have this posture of, I'm the adult, you're the child, you don't get it. Let me just tell you all the reasons why you don't get it. And so they become interfering and know-it-all-y, that elitist, the, yeah, the the good, the goody two-shoes kind of uh-huh. perspective, yep, persona. Yep, yep. Yeah. Right, right. And so, you know, folks that hang out, hang out with the non-resourceful one, they just, uh, they live with a sense that that non-resourceful one is judging them. And so other people around them just feel judged by them. And the truth is that that's probably accurate. Like, a little bit, the, yeah. The non-resourceful one probably is making some of those judgments. Yeah, because uh, they've had such high standards that to to fall beneath those standards even if those aren't your standards to them that's just like well how would you even imagine how could you do that you right know? right yeah yeah okay so uh so what is the wake-up call for the one um ones when you feel a sense of personal obligation to fix everything yourself Ooh. that is the point at which you are bearing a burden that is not yours, Ouch. and you are now making decisions from a place that is not healthy and that is not being led by the Spirit. You are living from a place of reactive compulsion, hmm. and you are attempting to control things that are not yours to control. So the wake-up call for the one is when ones feel a sense of personal obligation to fix everything themselves. Uh, so ones, they are in the gut triad. The struggle of the gut triad is the issue of guilt 
And when one's uh, experienced this exaggerated guilt, eventually that gives birth to the deadly sin of anger. And the way that uh, that ones cultivate this anger is by criticizing themselves and by criticizing others. And that produces a great sense of sort of angst and uh, dissonance uh, in mm-hmm. the relationships with themselves and with other people. They cultivate this anger through musts and oughts and shoulds. So they live by overly strict protocol for themselves as well as for other people. They live in a state of being very, very upset about the gap between how they perceive life should be and how life actually is, how they should be and how they actually are. And of course, this this just produces more, more and more anger. Uh, they cultivate this anger by good deeds, by always going out and just doing the right thing, making sure that you're yeah. doing the right thing and being good to everybody. Uh, and then finally, they cultivate this anger by being in control. Uh, so Sam, let's talk a little bit about how the one psychologically defends themselves. Yeah, it's through a process called reaction formation, which it's the doing the opposite of what they are feeling. And so I think it's so interesting for the gut triad because they are the body type. Eights externalize their anger. So everything it's, you know, that boundlessness energy that we talked about a couple episodes ago where I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to, you know, just go for a run to get this all out. Nines fall asleep to their anger, but ones internalize it. So they get very bottled up. Even though they're very angry, they're going to be very tactful. They're going to speak very clearly and not really show that there is an anger or there's a, you know, because anger to them is a sin. Like it's, you know, it's, not right to be angry. And so they defend themselves by doing the opposite of what the situation may be calling them to do, which is to to have an emotion, to get upset, to have a reaction. So I think it's really interesting. Um, Jesse, we talk about the, the gut triad and how just the way that they perceive the world is just so different. And yeah. so for the one, it's really, uh, you can tell um, ones kind of carry themselves with kind of an uptightness to them. They're kind of they don't yeah, want to in their body. It's movements. literally in yeah. their body. Yeah, they start, so, so they don't. So eights kind of have they kind of are that bull in the china shop thing. But yeah, wait, once, eights, eights walk in and there's like they have like this presence that like exudes yeah. their energy. Mm-hmm. Nines have that sense of like they walk in and everybody breathes easier because they're so laid back. And ones, you know, ones have that stiffness. Mm-hmm. They there is a sense in which they've told themselves no for so long and they've attempted to control for so long that it it makes its way into their physiological mm-hmm. being. It's yeah. it's the way in which, you know, their body actually manifests. So, um so these uh these folks are tempted to worship the idol of perfection, the idol of perfection. And the idol of perfection requires ones to sacrifice fun and enjoyment and spontaneity. Because they're trying to keep everything in its place. Yeah, Got to make sure no that everything's time. in its place well, and everyone's under control. Anger has no place and neither does joy at this point, you know, because there's so much that I need to be taking care of and fixing and maintaining and all these standards have to be met. Yes. And yeah. There's, there's no, too many things. There's, that no gray. I, there's too many balls in the air that I'm trying to keep track of. I don't have time to just suddenly, you know, if I walk away, they'll all fall. Yeah. Fun feels optional and like this gray nebulous thing. It doesn't because ones are just so black and white that it's hard for them to see spontaneity as actually yeah. a virtue and a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the idol for affection requires them to sacrifice their own desires and wants. So uh, so these folks tend to go, well, it doesn't matter what I want because the right thing to do is blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so they tend to really ignore their own desires uh, instead of believing, hey, hold on, the Holy Spirit is inside of me and maybe even my desires have been shaped and changed by him and maybe I should pay attention to some of these things. Uh, the idol of perfection also requires them to sacrifice both receiving and giving 
grace. Because uh, receiving grace, that is something where you drink it in deep and you fully receive it. There's no strings attached and you're able to go, I'm a hot mess and I am super thankful to the Lord that he has given me his grace. But also it's the ability to look at other people that are falling apart and to go, you know, God's grace to you. Mm, And you don't deserve this grace, but I didn't deserve it either. And praise God because he did not give us what we deserve. And so one is able to move past a point of just sort of a punitive posture to a place where ones can live with this understanding that none of us actually get what we deserve uh, from God, but us even enjoying our life and receiving, whether it's common grace, eternal grace, um, those are all good, you know, good gifts from God. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about how the one is transformed. So God sees the guilt that the one has. God responds to that guilt with his forgiveness, uh, which is to forgive the sins of the one, the shortcomings of the one, the um, discrepancies, and he responds to that with his forgiveness, which is to say that all of those debts are fully removed, fully atoned for, And out of that, he invites the one to what virtuous transformation? Patience. Just the ability to breathe and to relinquish that internal critic, that voice that says, I have to have it all right. This should be this way by now. Why isn't it there? The virtue allows them to recognize that they're not right about everything and that it's okay and that there may be a right and wrong to the world, but they ultimately aren't the judge. They're not the one that makes the final call. And so to live with the more posture of kind of ridding themselves of that black and white thinking and to adopt a posture of gray and that there there is a reality of life that is messy and just takes time. And so their anger that they're carrying with them is transformed from that pushy, demanding spirit, that internal critic that we talk about, um, and into a righteous indignation at evil. It's not to become passive. It's just to become, to not have to hold it all on your own. You know, like when the wake-up call is that I have to fix everything, then that's the warning sign. So for the one to adopt the posture of patience really allows them to to be open-handed, to receive from the Lord, and to to carry that that passion forward in a righteous way. Yeah, to trust God that he is at work and that in time, in his perfect timing, that all will be made right, but that it's in God's hands and it doesn't have to be in our hands to do those things, mm-hmm. that God can be trusted to make all things right. Okay, well, when we come back, we will be talking with who I perceive really to be truly a very wise, very thoughtful, very healthy one, Dr. Eric Johnson. Stay with us. Do issues of poverty and injustice make you feel heartbroken, overwhelmed, or confused? Are you like many young adults who see all of these needs happening around the world, but you just don't know where to start? Well, we can help with that. Love Thy Neighborhood is an urban missions agency for young adults impacting social justice issues, both physically and spiritually. We've helped hundreds of young adults just like you do justice and build better Christian community. We partner with over a dozen nonprofits throughout the city that are on the front lines of causes like crisis pregnancy, homelessness, orphan care, refugees, and more. Or perhaps you want to contribute in a way that's a little bit more behind the scenes. We also have internship tracks in the areas of nonprofit leadership, as well as media and design and visual arts. So if you're between the ages of 18 and 30, head over to our website at lovethyneighborhood.org Take a look at all of the different causes where you can make an impact. Choose the ones that you're most passionate about, and we will pair you up with an organization where you will make a real difference in real lives. We offer opportunities for a summer or a year. So again, head over to our website, lovethyneighborhood.org, and apply now. 
Welcome back to the IndiaCast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Our guest today is Dr. Eric Johnson. Dr. Johnson is the author of Foundations for Soul Care, a Christian Psychology Proposal. His newest book is God and Soul Care, the Therapeutic Resources of the Christian Faith. He also served for 17 years on faculty at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary as the Lawrence and Charlotte Hoover Professor of Pastoral Care. He's a member of the American Psychological Association. He was also the founding director of the Society for Christian Psychology. He is currently developing a Christian psychology graduate program, and he's a one on the Enneagram. So, hey, Eric, welcome. Hey. Good to have you on. It's great to be here. Okay, so you just heard our overview of ones. What resonated with you? Oh, man. Uh, I just feel so nailed, you know, when I when I go over uh, the kind of the basics. Um I, you know, reformer, I love that. I, lo- I love the idea of- Does that resonate, that title? Do you yeah, go like, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. That's probably the, my favorite <laughs> way of thinking about it. You know, when, when I first got uh, assessed, uh, the person that was uh, kind of talking me through it said, oh, so you're, this fits. You're a moral crusader. And it's like, well, that's a, that's a little hard way to put yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, it kind of does. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Well- Let's talk about this. So ones want to improve the world. Like that's kind of the thing that you guys sort of bring is like you look at the world and you go like, I I want to help make the world a better place. I, yeah. I believe that God's desire is to transform the world around us. Um, and so they carry a really strong sense of purpose in life. You know, how do you see ones leaning into this gift? Yeah, well, I, I, I can't speak for everybody. I know for me early on, I experienced kind of a calling into the area of psychology and yet knowing is very complex for Christians to wade into and and over time finding this middle way that does justice to the to the kind of uh ideological battles that were going on back you know 30 years ago even uh, where you know psychology has some value, but but it's currently secularized, and then on the other side, but the Bible is the Word of God, and and recognizing they're both saying something that's important. Yeah. And is there is there a a, a balance? Is there a way of synthesizing these uh, two Christian approaches to the truth? And that's been my life calling. So you know, for for me, I can very much see that this desire to capture the the truth in balance and make a difference in the world has motivated me uh, throughout my career. It's fascinating because when I hear you begin to describe it, you know, uh, the word fairness comes to mind. Mm. And it's not a word that I would necessarily associate with what you're talking about, but you're talking about you look at the world of this kind of worldview and you look at this kind of world and you go, man, there's good truth on both sides and we need to represent accurately both those things and figure out a way, you know, if all truth is God's truth, how do we bring these things together? Uh, and it's interesting just to hear you talk about that because yeah. fairness is not the word that initially would come to mind. But then as you're describing, I'm going, yeah, there's an issue of, of fairness no, I, and rightness I think in that. that fits because there's a kind of moral quality that the one is captivated by. And it, it comes down to justice. No voice should be marginalized. You know, we, we need to listen to these folks that are arguing with each other because they both have something to say. So, you know, it can be lonely then, it be, you know, kind of being in the middle because everyone I'm with, I'm kind of saying, yeah, but what about the other side? And it sounds like I'm yeah. not maybe being supportive enough to their position, but I'm help, I'm wanting to help them see, yeah, but there's this other group that's also got something to say. So, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it, it can it can sometimes be lonely yeah. in that space. Yeah, it feels like a very, yeah, just a, a particular gift and calling. And the issue, the topic of justice, you know, that is reflective of God's character. So with issues to, to justice and God's justice, how do you, how do you see 
ones kind of bestow the the righteousness of God just with the way that they can relate and communicate with other people and to advocate, you know, to, to stand up for the oppressed, as you will. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think I entered into Christianity from a non-Christian background, was very relativistic. But when I, when I, you know, the more I got into Christianity, the more I resonated with it. And I think looking back, it's because I, I, I've, I've always had a kind of deep sense of, of righteousness and of right, of justice. And so then to, to find myself then in, in, in the Christian faith where God's law and holiness, this is like the highest values of the universe, it was easy for me to enter into that. And then, you know, especially early on, I think I was, I was, I had a chip on my shoulder about getting the right doctrine, about having the right moral stance on every issue and, you know, feeling like, hey, it's vindicated by the way. It's the way God is. You know, there's more to God than that. But man, you know, early in my Christian life, I was captivated by doing it right because God's perfect. I need to be too. Mm. Mm. Wouldn't have put it that way, but that was yeah, functionally that was, how yeah. I lived my Christian life. Well, okay. So, so ones can sometimes, you know, come across as prescriptive or as demanding to others. But, you know, what a lot of folks don't realize is that the person that ones are always the hardest on is always themselves and that their inner critic, it can just become really, really loud. You know, do, do you experience this, this inner critic? I mean, what's, what's that like for you? Yeah, but I, it feels to me that it's like, it's like super intense, so intense that I'm not aware of it. Like, like my inner critic knows not to be too loud because then I would identify it and that would be wrong and then I'd work on it. So um, over the years, I've gradually become aware of just how stifled that voice is. Uh, earlier, you know, you had said, you mentioned, uh, Sam, that the the idea that uh, of reaction formation being the defense mm -hmm. that uh, really shapes, and that that is my my story. And uh, becoming aware of how, you know, I'm I'm such a peacemaker, um, but but becoming aware of how that a lot of that peacemaking agenda is motivated by the desire to be the opposite of what's really going on because I, I have a lot of inner conflict and I see conflict really quickly, identify it, easy to label it. But I early in my uh, you know, adult life, I, I found that I was pushing people away, that I didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I learned I need to be more peace oriented. And, and peace is really important. And that, that also is a justice value, you know, that's, that can be wrapped into this. But it's interesting how it can serve this kind of uh, repressive agenda of kind of denying the anger that I do have, the, the conflict that I live with internally that's down there, but it's pretty subdued. Yeah, I had a friend who uh, who's a one, and um, you know when she started really doing the work of acknowledging how angry she was, you know, she just said that a lot of her anger was just spilling out in places that it just didn't, it wasn't helpful, and and it wasn't even fully justified. But man, it felt justified in the moment, and it was when she really started to go, you know what, I I'm struggling with an issue of anger, like I have an anger problem. I noticed such a trans transformation, like it was really incredible to watch her change just by acknowledging that that was reality inside of her. You know, is that something that as, as you started to go, you know what, anger is there and I need to pay more attention to that. Did you did you begin to see the Lord bring transformation? Yeah, but it's still indirectly because of the strong repression of my anger. I, I think it's only been in recent years that I become more aware that that's still there, even though I wasn't aware of it. But because ones are on mission, you know, all the time, uh, early in my Christian life, I also thankfully got in, introduced to the importance of the spiritual disciplines and meditation, spending time with Jesus. And, you know, 
gee, uh, Jesus is great to know when you're a one because he's perfect, but he's also perfectly loving Mm -hmm. and compassionate. And so the more that I pressed into the calling of the Christian life to spend time with God, to commune with him, the more that that began a melting process of some of the hardness of my oneness. Uh, You know, to be honest, um, my wife suffered the most in the early years of, you know, of our marriage and my adulthood, uh, exposed to my kind of unrelenting pressure to have the perfect marriage for her to be the perfect spouse, uh, harder on her than I was on me and retrospect but but God used her her voice her 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 pain honestly for me to see and and the Lord used all of that to 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 then send me on mission to get healing and to the need to the, the need to see a therapist over seasons of my life it's been you know I'm still doing that at 62 and and uh, to to take my meditation time very serious you know that that I need the Lord every day I need to spend time with him and God has used that part of this kind of being on mission in a healing in a, in a healing way so I'm kind of thankful you know for all of yeah. that the package deal yeah, yeah, that's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, that's really good. Um, yeah, I think for ones or people that that maybe are just uh, feel guilty for having that anger emotion, it's hard to recognize that anger has a place, you know. So, how have you learned to to be more open handed with anger and not count that on another list of things that are wrong? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I kind I kind of say I'm still on that journey. You mm-hmm. know, honestly, uh, one of the uh, uh, things that I've kind of been working on for, you know, gee, as long as I've been aware of it. I can't remember when I began to be more aware of that, somewhere t- 10 to 20 years ago. Uh, working on uh, being in touch with my anger and learning to express it, especially to God, because I know he can handle it. So I honestly, I love the imprecatory psalms because they kind of model this, taking our anger to the Lord and saying, God, this is not right. And I really enter into that uh, in, in, in the car. You know, I have a conversation with my with, with a friend of my wife or somebody, and I'll be mad about it. Didn't maybe deal with it then, but then I get I try and get in touch mm-hmm. with that. Uh, funny story. Uh, my wife and I were in an argument on our way to church. Of course, that's when it often happens. Right, right. And you know, she said something that I thought was not fair, and I just turned to her and said, "Listen, that's not right that you said that to me." And we kind of looked at each other and said, "Hey, that was pretty good." I think my, you know, my wife, said, "Hey, good job," you know, <laughs> because we're working on that part yeah. of my, you know, repertoire to become more of a whole person. And for me, that is a that's a that's a growth mm-hmm. area. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, how do you tell the difference between righteous anger and sinful anger? Because a lot of times in the moment when you're just kind of heated, you know, it feels the same and the intensity is the same. So, so you know, how do you distinguish between those two things, righteous mm-hmm. anger and sinful anger? I, I think of um, sinful anger is it's unregulated and it's it's over the top it's it's done often in my in my story it's it's often done punitively to punish the other for saying something or doing something that doesn't that's not right that hurts me or gets in my way so um i think of of uh, the the ideal kind of anger is an anger that recognizes the the moral issue at stake but then is expressed in a productive way that doesn't chase people away but gets gets a hold of their attention and helps them to see with clarity what's at stake. 
So I, th- I see that as an art form, you know, learning how to do that uh, without pushing people away. But but on the, the other, you know, the other extreme is being so passive that 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 the truth's not communicated with passion because that's that's the beauty of anger is it does communicate the moral urgency with passion. Yeah, that's good. So that's it on the positive side. And then I guess the negative, you know, I'm thinking uh, one of the, some of the distinguishing marks of sinful anger would be resentment. You know, you're just hanging on to it and mm. you're nurturing that over and over again in your mind. You're just playing that stuff over and over again. And I'm also thinking about like um, even avoidance. You know, you talked a little bit in your own story just about the reluctance to own your anger. Uh, and that itself, of course, gave birth to more anger. Um, so one of the things that we always recommend uh, to folks that have a lot of one, you know, they may be a core one or they may just have a lot of one uh, in, in sort of their being and part of who they are. Um, one of the things that we always recommend is is to go have go have fun, go play, uh, just enjoy life, relax. Um, you know, why do you think that relaxing and playing are important for folks wired similar to you? Yeah, there's an intensity to being uh uh, always reforming, reformed and always reforming. I love that quote, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's kind of intense. It's hard on others. It can be hard on the self, on, on ourselves. There, there was a season in my life where I was having trouble sleeping, and uh, I, and, and I realized, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, get up at six, get to bed eleven, twelve. Uh, usually, only six hours. I just let, I would allow myself only six hours of sleep. And over the last few years, I've started to open up to that part of me. And, you know, I need more sleep than that. And so I kind of give myself more permission to both go to bed early, uh, wake up a little bit later. One of the ways that for me has been so meaningful throughout my whole life, I love nature. I love nature walks. I love hikes. And there's something about that that just resonates. There's a there's such a grand beauty in God's creation that I think a one can really enter into and relish and also let down. And of course, God speaks in his creation so powerfully. And I just feel it. I just feel my whole nervous system just just lowers a few notches mm-hmm. when I enter into a, a good hike. I always love it when, you know, when ones relax and like they're having a good time because they're really funny. A lot of ones are just like, they're really, really funny, you know, as long as they're not stressed out. You know, if they're stressed out, they don't really even want to be at the party because there's things they need to be doing. But man, when they relax, they're just a ton of joy, Mm -hmm. you know, and just just great for the rest of us to be around. Mm So, yeah, so if you're listening, you got a lot of one, like (laughs) give us the gift of relaxing. You know, it's good for you. It's good just, you know, you want to serve the world, relax a little bit. Like uh, find some things that are nurturing and, you know, Mm -hmm. that that are nourishing for you and and go do those things. So talk to me about this. You know, what is what is the experience of hearing the good news of God's grace and forgiveness like for somebody who feels guilty? You know, when you hear a sermon or you look to the scriptures or you're reading a book and it just is talking extensively about God's grace and his forgiveness, um, you know, what is that experience like for you, you know, and, and what does it do to that inner critic? I, I like to think uh, – I, I like to look for what I call an emotion shift. In my experience, and I, you know, I, I work with with others in counseling, and want to encourage them to 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 seek that. So, when when we when we feel guilt or shame, uh, you know, it it's a it's a just a, it's a strong, deadly, painful feeling. I, I get it often in my mm-hmm. chest, uh, and and uh, you know, with something usually related to something that recently happened, haven't recovered yet. 
uh, ideally, I want to be able to, to deal with this therapeutically. I want to be able to take this to the Lord and work through it. So if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. So I want to, I want to take that to the Lord and then remind myself of all the promises that the gospel brings us, that he will, in fact, cleanse me. And so I, I might even use my imagination to imagine like his, his loving holy water just washing me, washing through me and washing through my chest and just cleansing me of that guilt feeling and t- taking it into the drain and taking it away so that I'm I'm now with him in a state of forgiveness and his favor and he's he's saying to me you're my you're still my beloved son mm-hmm. in whom I'm well pleased just like my just my just like my son Jesus and so that emotion shift is really prized I think for me and and uh, I think I think we want to aim for that in our Christian life and not just let our guilt feelings fade away you know by getting distracted or whatever, but really say, hey, if I'm feeling some guilt, I need to do something with it. And man, we got this great, beautiful therapy system called Christianity that God wants us to do that, on a, you know, kind of have a short account with him. On that note, how has growing in your self-awareness deepened your relationship with God and those around you? Mm. I just feel like I was made for Christianity. I guess everybody, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're made for God, right? But it just meets our needs in such a beautiful, absolute way. I mean, God says, be holy like I'm holy. And and so, you know, he is a perfect God. He has perfect standards. And he came to meet them on our behalf through the incarnation and then to pay the perfect penalty for us so that he can be perfectly in love with us without any, you know, the perfection, it just, it just completely is satisfied in the Christian system. And, uh, so I, I just feel like this deep sense of wholeness when I, when I survey all the richness of, of the Christian faith, including where I've been drawn more and more through the course of my life, ending up not at the cross, but ending up in the arms of my father. Uh, in the arms of a, of a, the lover of my soul, that that's really the end point that God is drawing us to into the, the Trinitarian communion. That's what we were made for. And yeah, it, mm, it that is good. That is rich. Well, when we come back, Dr. Eric Johnson and I will be playing Not My Type. Stay with us. On today's episode of the Enneacast, we're exploring Type One, the Reformer. Ones have an acute sense of fairness, and oftentimes ones gravitate towards occupations that have to do with ethics and issuing justice. Well, sometimes justice can have some surprising effects. To hear more about justice, check out our other show, the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. And be sure to listen to episode number 11, where the gospel meets incarceration. Everyone that's arrested will be presented to a judge, an on-call judge. Today, that's me. No one told us, like, don't go to jail. It's not cool. It's not good. I just literally had a white T-shirt and gray shorts and tennis shoes. Most of our clients, it's not their first rodeo. They have been in prison more than once. I miss going to the refrigerator, open up the door, knowing I ain't want to get nothing. I had a little 18-year-old black boy look at me and tell me, he says, you know, Darren, he still loves you. So subscribe now wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Just search Love Thy Neighborhood or head over to our website at lovethyneighborhood.org slash podcast. Welcome back to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And now, Not My Type. 
All right, Jesse, before the show, I asked Eric some questions and he gave me his answers. I then added two fake answers to each question to try to throw you off. Your job is to determine which one is Eric's real answer based on his personality type. You get a point for everyone. You guess correctly. If he stumps you, he gets a point. Are you ready? I guess I'm ready. I've done so terrible. Yeah. I've lost so These many These games were a better so idea games. in theory, but we are just bad at them. Yeah, yeah. So, but, uh, episode, but I'm going to get this one. This to, one. <laughs> you sure? I'm going I'm going out in glory. There is a right and wrong answer to this one, so hopefully okay, we're okay. able to find it. All right, so okay. question one. I asked Dr. Johnson, you go to a restaurant to eat. You pay for your meal with cash. As you get into the car to go, you count your money and realize that the restaurant gave you $5 more in change than what you were owed originally. So what is your first thought? A, I'm going to tell their manager because clearly someone doesn't know how to count and they should not be working in customer service. B, I have to go right away and give this back to them. Or C, I should give this money to charity. B. Yeah, it was, that yes. was really easy. All right, good. Good. Okay, yep. We didn't stump him on question one, Dr. Johnson. No, no. <laughs> That's natural, maybe. Yeah. So, question- would you be tempted at all to go to the manager and say, "Hey, just, just no, FYI. that's just not me." Yeah. yeah. You know, I could. I, in fact, I thought you know, probably some people would do that. Maybe yeah. that are ones. You know, but yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a limit to my. It was hard. Uh-huh, <laughs> I think uh-huh, we made the uh-huh. stakes too low in the question. Like we should have said, like you have to go to a meeting or like. You're you're torn between like this priority and a next commitment, but doing the right thing. Like I think it was an easy answer. Mm. No, 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 it was a very hard answer that I got correctly. <laughs> that is what that is what took place. Sure, yeah. sure. All right. So question two, you're making a presentation to a small group of people or students around a conference table. As you speak, one of the attendees begins to slurp their drink loudly and repeatedly. If the offender had telepathy, what <laughs> thought would they hear in your mind? A how could they think this is a good idea? Do they not know where they are? If I did that, I would be fired instantly. Weren't they raised better than this? B, they are so completely disregarding my point and are therefore unworthy of my time, effort, and energy. Or C, why are you so thoughtless? Okay, uh, let me eliminate. I, I don't think it's B. Okay. I. One and three are, are They're A so and similar. C. Are yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go with C. Man, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah. Would that drive you up the yeah, wall? Yeah, there would be a judgment for sure. And, you know, a lot, you know, what, what kind of self-awareness does this person have, you know? Mm-hmm. They need to take the Enneagram. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's non-resourceful stuff. Yeah. On, <laughs> Get it together. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So question three, someone tells you life isn't fair. You respond by telling them, A, it would be fair if you would just get your life together. B, that's really true. Life is hard. Or C, it's not fair, but it could be. I'm going to go, I'm going to go B. Man, you're three for three. Ah! So I think we have something. Yeah, that's right. That's right. This deep inner I don't know. I think I'm just bad at coming up with alternative No, no, answers. no, no. These are great. These are great. <laughs> yeah, you're saying that because you're winning. <laughs> I will keep saying that as long as I'm winning. I will tell you they're terrible questions as yeah. soon as I'm not getting one correct. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. So, all right. Question four. Dr. Johnson, you've been asked to join a freestyle dance competition to benefit a charity that you love. <laughs> How do you respond? A, find someone else. B, I'll just make a large donation. I should do that instead, right? Or C, clearly I need to find another charity to invest in. <laughs> uh, wait, what was A again? What was find a? someone else. Oh, this is a hard one. Um, I, I don't think C. Uh, I, I, I think... Oh, I think B. 
Nope. Ah! <laughs> Finally. We got it. What was it? What was it? Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's no way I'm dancing, period. <laughs> uh, my perfectionism in, in reverse. Uh, right? uh-huh. There's yeah. no way. So. Uh-huh. Yeah. So wait, which one was it? What was the answer? Oh, hey. Find hey. someone else. Find, Find someone, someone else. else. Period. You know. Period. Yeah, that was, was the end of the was, That was a complete. Sentence. I was like, "Do you have any other thoughts?" <laughs> yeah. Nope. That's it. <laughs> Just I'm done. You know, the possibility of making a mistake is too. Uh huh. Uh huh. That's oh man. So okay, but I'm still and... I'm still doing okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're fine. I want to be clear Three about to one. that. Yeah. So this is for all the points. Okay. Okay. No. Okay. Last question. Someone asks you a complicated ethical moral question, but tells you not to worry about explaining the nuances. They just want a soundbite. What would you do? A, ask for clarification and specification of what they consider a soundbite. B, give it your best shot. All you can do is try, right? Or C, it's impossible to do this point justice to the complexity in just one soundbite. It's impossible. Oh, my gosh. This one. This feels impossible. This yeah, question. Yeah, one uh, what was it, A again? What was it? Ask for clarification and specification of what they consider a soundbite. Um... I'm going to roll the dice, and I'm going to say C. You got it right. Yeah. All right. Why did you choose that one? Because I because of the A was the right answer on the last one. <laughs> so no other C. I was really torn. I was really torn between A and C. I really yeah. saw them both as plausible mm-hmm. responses. So, yeah. So, wh- so why C? Yeah. Can you say C again? Man? It says it's impossible to do that point justice because of all the complexities. Yeah, it's just, it's just we got to be realistic about, uh, mm-hmm. you know, trying to give an answer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd rather lower expectations, you know, and, and talk it through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, to get clarity, to get to get the right answer. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. So for me, I, I'm a wing one. So I, um, I interpret it as like, well, like I can maybe get around what they mean by a soundbite and give a bigger answer. I need to ask specifically what they're trying to get at here. So yeah, I think the same expectation thing. So I tricked you. So funny. As a four, I just go, I'm going to give you the answer, and it's on you to edit it however you want to. But <laughs> yeah. you, you're here for me, so I'm going to, yeah. So that's probably not healthy So either. this is a great teamwork. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, because, one, you know, ones have that reputation of, like, I want to make sure that you understand the nuances of what we're discussing oh, yeah. so that we're all fully informed so we can make a fair and informed yeah, decision. Yeah, I, I don't like sound bites. I mean, period. You know, mm-hmm. from when I when you hear them on the news, they're, they're always leaving something out. Yeah. Yeah. Do you dislike Twitter? Do you like Twitter? No, I, I don't. It's a frustrating medium for yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. There's yeah, just I a lot more to yeah. say. So, Jesse, you won. That was it. I right? won. You won. Let oh. the universe show that I just finally <laughs> won. Insert like a, a trumpet sounding. Going like. out. Going out. <laughs> Lord, you can take me now. I finally actually won one of these games. You have ones in your life? Maybe? <laughs> yeah. you kind of... I know. I do. I feel like uh, I do. I've got folks that I'm close to that I love dearly that have a lot of one in them. And I, and I you know, walk with them through these things. So, <laughs> And I've got enough of one in myself, too. You know? I've got, yeah. So, so there's some resonance there. Well, uh, all right. It's now time for the final five questions. Yeah, question one, what actor would play you in a movie? Uh, wow. I, I, you know, Harrison Ford comes to mind, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure why. To tie it into this, you know, he, he always plays a very virtuous kind of leading character. And I've been following him for, you know, my whole adult life, so. I want to be Harrison Ford. Yeah. <laughs> okay, if, uh, if, we had a phone, if we had a phone that could call your 21-year-old self, what would you say to them? Relax. 
Don't be, don't be quite so tense. Move with the flow. Uh, question three, how can friends and loved ones affirm someone with your personality type? I think, I think uh, having some um, healthy boundaries so that you, uh, the person doesn't take so personal the, the, the crusading that often uh, ones are involved, invested in, especially when it is personal, you know. So, uh, yeah, it, having healthy boundaries, trying to be objective about, you know, this is, this is what this person is, is dealing with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's, it's their stuff. It's not so much my stuff. Uh, how does the good news of God's forgiveness heal your deadly sin of anger? So when when I am inappropriately angry, and I I do express my anger sometimes in inappropriate ways, um, I uh, open up to a God who has forgiven anger, my anger, on the cross, and uh, just remind myself of this eternal truth. Yeah, it's good. All right, last question. What scripture verse do you hold dear as it relates to your personality type? Yeah, so I don't have to think about this because this is my life verse. And uh, it's, but it's cool to be asked this because I realize, you know, when I, the more that I think about the Enneagram, the more that I realize I've been living out a lot of yeah. these things and, and they're kind of coming alive, you know, as a result of, of being more aware. So there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that has bathed my soul my whole life. And I think it's, yeah, it's because of this inner critic that the Lord is helping me to, to put to death at the cross and to know we're good. He and I are good in Christ. I love how the gospel is just a perfect fit for each person, that he mm-hmm. just meets us at our deepest needs. And mm-hmm. each of our deepest needs are a little bit nuanced. They're different from each other. And that he just, he comes and he meets us. It's wonderful. Mm. Thank you, Eric, for being a guest today. We really have enjoyed having you on. It's been hey, a lot of fun, really insightful. So thank you yeah, thank for you. opening up to everybody. Mm-hmm. This is great. Well, thank you to our special guest today, Dr. Eric Johnson. I want to encourage everybody to uh, to go pick up uh, Dr. Johnson's books, Foundations for Soul Care, a Christian Psychology Proposal, as well as God and Soul Care, the Therapeutic Resources of the Christian Faith. Uh, also, thank you to Crosspoint Ministry that trained us in the Enneagram. To learn more about Crosspoint or to attend one of their fantastic retreats, visit crosspointministry.com. Our show is a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Serve for a summer or for a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Today's episode was produced by myself and Sam Stevenson, engineering and editing by Janelle Dawkins with Justice Smith. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Sam Stevenson. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community.